Welcome to Practical Christian Living. In Hebrews chapter 12, 11, it tells us that whom God loves, He disciplines. God loves you, child of God, and He disciplines you. And, and in this, really, you can get rid of this trouble. You can get rid of this difficulty. There's some of them we can't. We got to go through the storm. But if you're being disciplined by God and you know it, then, hey, repent. Get rid of the discipline. It's been said everyone falls into one of three categories when it comes to trials. We're either headed into a trial, right in the middle of one, or headed out of one. But Jesus promised we'd have trials even when we commit our lives to Him. The child of God will not escape difficulties, but God provides us with instruction and supernatural strength and peace to get us through those tough times, and also the promise that these struggles we go through are only temporary. With Matthew chapter 14 in our Jesus Appointment series, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, thank you for your word. It is rich, it is deep, it is powerful, it is profound, it is meaningful. We can't say enough about it. It really is alive. We need to trust it. There's so much that we could do if we put our faith in what you say. And we pray now that as we consider difficulties and storms, that you would use these things to work out good in our lives. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today we are looking at how we can survive a storm or survive a difficult time. Life is full of difficult seasons, different seasons. There's good seasons and there's great seasons. There's bad seasons and there's terrible seasons. And I wish I could say that we as Christians are somehow protected from difficult and tough seasons, but we are not. I realize that there are some that teach that, but they're lying to you. The Bible never says that. It never says that if you come to Jesus, you will never have a difficult time. God wants you rich. God wants you healthy. God never wants you struggling. The Bible doesn't say that. They are twisting and manipulating scriptures. In fact, we are told by Jesus in John 16, that in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise, by the way. It's not one I hear people claiming. I claim trouble in the name of Jesus today. But Jesus wanted us to know. He didn't want us to be taken by surprise that all of a sudden there's difficulties and there's trouble. And I have known people who commit their lives to Christ, follow Him for a few years, and then a difficult time comes to their life and they're like, I'm out. If this is what Christianity is, then I'm not following. The difficulties in their life have caused them to leave. Their commitment was so shallow, it was like stony ground, that when difficulty came, they checked out. Jesus wanted us to know, count the cost. Know that these difficulties are going to come. But then he said, be of good cheer. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I don't see many people being of good cheer when they have trouble, by the way, because I've overcome the world. In other words, it's all going to work out in the end. It might be bad for you right now. And sometimes we can't see past the end of our noses. We just see right where we are right now. But he says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. A similar passage is James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In a similar way, I don't see people 
rejoicing when they encounter various trials. We don't go, man, God's doing so much inside of me today. I'm having such problems with my kids. This is great. You just don't, you, it takes us a while to see it. And we might get there eventually. But when it happens, first of all, we're like, why? First Peter 4.12, Peter says something a little bit different. He says, don't think it's strange when fiery trials come upon you. Did he have to really add fiery? Couldn't he have said, don't think it's strange when, when trials come upon you? He's like, don't think it's strange when really, 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 really bad trials happen to you. Could God get it through to us anymore that we are not inoculated from difficulties, from storms, from hardships, from troubles? He's, he's given it to us so clearly in the scriptures and worded it in a way that we cannot escape it. Job understood this completely. The Bible tells us that Job was a righteous man and he suffered greatly, everything taken away from him. And finally, he's sitting in the dirt, ashes literally, and he's scratching his boils with pieces of pottery. And Job said things like, as the sparks fly upward, man was made for trouble. And Job also made a commitment to God he said several things along the lines of, it doesn't matter to me what happens, I will serve God through it all, which is one of the greatest lessons that we would say, even if I die tomorrow, I'll serve him today. If me making a commitment to Christ today means that I would die tomorrow, I would serve him today because it's the right thing to do, because it's our savior, we would go into eternity and we have heaven. Everything that is happening to us now is temporary. We are going into heaven. And don't forget Romans 8, 28, one of the most memorized verses in the Bible, and that's for a reason. God causes all things to work together for the good. It doesn't say God causes everything in your life to be good. And it doesn't say God causes the bad things that happen to you, because he doesn't. We'll talk in a moment about why difficulties happen to us but that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. God's able to take even the most horrific things in my life and cause them to be good. In Hebrews chapter 12, 11, it tells us that whom God loves, he disciplines. God loves you, child of God, and he disciplines you. And, and in this, really, you could get rid of this trouble. You could get rid of this difficulty. There's some of them we can't. We got to go through the storm. But if you're being disciplined by God and you know it, then, hey, repent, get rid of the discipline. Because it says that no discipline of God is pleasant, but it is grievous, but it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So if you can change to not be disciplined by God, you can control that. Okay, we've established that we're going to go through storms and that God is going to use those storms to help us. We're going to come out of the storm on the other end better than when we went into the storm, we would opt out of the storm always, right? We would go, you know, God, I don't know if how much better I'm going to get is going to be worth the storm. So I'll just not go through it. But we're going to come out of the other end better because of our God, even if they are severe storms. But why do we go through storms? Well, I have three different kind of explanations for that. Number one, we live in a fallen world. We have frail bodies. And we are part of humanity. When we get saved, God doesn't take us out of the fallen world. He doesn't give us immortal bodies. 
One day he will. For you kids that are here, we're going to be better than Avengers. This mortality will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruptible. One day, my body won't deteriorate anymore. It won't be perishing day by day. One day we'll have it all, but right now you got it. And bodies get sick and they break and they get arthritis and, and high blood pressure and blood sugar problems. Everything else that happens as we get older. Cholesterol. Can't eat what you want. When we get saved, we uh, are not taken out of humanity. People get sick because they're human. We have relationship problems because we're human. And we face those things. And if God took us out of it, how could we ever minister to the people in the midst of it? Which brings me to my second point. The reason God allows us to go through all of these things is because when you face difficulties and you keep your faith, then that speaks volumes. When you go through, through easy times and you keep your faith, well, okay. But when you go through a real, deep, profound struggle and you say, I love Jesus in spite of this, I still believe in spite of what has happened. Greg Laurie lost his son when he was 32 years old, eight or nine years ago now that he lost his son. And the morning he went out to talk to his congregation, he's a pastor in uh, California, he went out to talk to his congregation and he didn't preach that day, but he said, I just wanted to come out to say to you guys, this thing that has happened to me, I would never choose. I would have never chosen my son to die, but I still believe. And that spoke, that spoke volumes. I, even though my son's been taken from me, even though this is the, the, the worst thing that could ever happen to me, I still believe. And that's what people see in you when you go through a struggle. The light that you have shines brighter because of that. The third reason that God allows us to go through difficulties and hardships is because the Bible uses analogies of the Christian life like soldiers and athletes. Soldiers don't have an easy life. When you go to boot camp, they don't try to make it as easy as they possibly can. When you get out there on the battlefield, or really, if it's not even a battlefield, you're just going, you're, you've been deployed somewhere, and you're going through it, and it's ugly, and it's tough, and the storm's coming down on you, you don't get to go, I'm going to go get out of this storm, right? You just got to go through it. And God's saying, that's what we as Christians are like. Soldiers don't entangle themselves in the affairs of this world. And athletes do what they do. They have discipline. Athletes have great discipline. World-class athletes have a lot more discipline than you and I. That's why they are world-class athletes. They pay the price for it. They put tens of thousands of hours into being good at what they do. And we are to be disciplined because we're doing it for a crown that is not perishing when they're doing it for a perishing crown. We are to realize that the work that we're doing is so grand that it's worth us marching in the middle of a storm. It's worth us being disciplined to say, I want to see people come to Christ and I want to see people saved. So that's why we go through them. But how can we survive them? Well, the text that we have in front of us today gives us some of those keys. The reason for this, by the way, the reason for what's taking place here is to show us that Jesus has power over storms. He has power over sicknesses. He has power over demons. He has power over leprosy. He has power over storms. His ministry revealed that there's nothing that is out of his realm to be able to help. And so in Matthew 14, 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat 
and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. <laughs> they just all started screaming. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now in these few little opening verses, I find seven things that help us to be able to face a storm. Number one, Jesus at times leads us into storms. They were in that storm because Jesus said, Get in the boat, I'm going to meet you on the other side. There was a storm earlier they were in that Jesus got in the boat with them. He said, get in the boat, let's go to the other side. And then he, he was so exhausted, he fell asleep in the front of the boat. And then the storm arose, and the Bible says, and water began to come into the boat, which is never a good thing. Water outside of the boat, good. Inside of the boat, bad. And these were professional fishermen. And they woke him up and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus says something really funny to them. He says, why are you afraid? Because we're sinking, you know? Why are you afraid? Because we're in a life-threatening situation. These guys made their living on the water. They knew what was dangerous and they knew what was not dangerous. And yet Jesus says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And he commands the wind and the waves and they are still. He takes control over them. And then they said among themselves, who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. He didn't stand up and say, I pray, Father, that you would stop the wind and waves. He commanded them and they listened to him. Who is it that the wind and the waves listen to him? But they learned something from that first storm. When Jesus said, we're going over, you're not going under. Why did he say, why are you afraid? Because earlier he had given them his word. Let's get in the boat and go to the other side. But they thought they were going to perish in the middle of it. But Jesus sent them into the storm. And he sends them into this storm. And again, they find it. But they've learned something from this one. Now the wind's contrary. And there said, Jesus said he would meet us on the other side. And we're not going to bail out. And so they kept rowing. The easy thing would have been to let the boat point the other way and to row with the wind and get back to the shore, wait for the tempest to die down, and then go back out and meet him on the other side. But they were like, we are not quitting. And they kept fighting against it till the fourth watch of the night. First watch is six o'clock, second watch is nine o'clock, third watch is midnight, fourth watch is three in the morning. Of course, he came to him in the fourth watch. He let him go through it all. And then he shows up. They're worn out. He made them take their faith to all the way into the early morning to make it to the other side. Sometimes Jesus leads us into storms. We might not like that, but it's the truth. God's got his purpose for the storms. The second thing to help us get through a storm is to know that even in the middle of the storm, God's word is still with us. Just because you're in a storm, God's word is not nullified. Just because you're facing some difficulty that is horrific, 
all that God said is still true. In the middle of the storm, Jesus said, let's go to the other side, and they were going to get to the other side. When Jesus said, I'll meet you on the other side, they were going to meet him on the other side. And so God's word is true for us as well, no matter what we're going through. God is going to use this to work out good in your life. Again, you might opt out of that. You may say, I don't really like that, but God's going to use the storm you're going through, or if you're not going through a storm now, just wait. Take notes, because you're going to have a storm. You might not need it today, but you're going to need it tomorrow. God's word is still true. And it's good for us to focus in on God's word in the midst of it, to double down on our scripture reading, to think more, to memorize more, to look up passages that speak of God delivering and how God works and what God will do. The first was that sometimes Jesus leads us into storms. The second is that you have God's word in the middle of the storm. The third thing to help us get through storms is to know that Jesus sees us in the storm. One of the other gospels says that while he was up praying, he looked down and he saw them on the water. I don't know whether he literally saw them. It's a big lake or whether he supernaturally saw them because Jesus did a lot of supernatural things, but he saw them. And it's really good for you to know now in the middle of your storm that Jesus sees you. That he's not oblivious to your pain and your suffering. In fact, the Bible says that he carries our sorrow and our grief. I believe in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus told the disciples, I'm so full of sorrow that I think I'm going to die. I believe that all of our grief and our sorrow was being laid upon him so that Jesus has carried my grief with me. It's not that I don't feel grief, because I do, but that he carried part of it for those of us who love him. And so he was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. He sees what we are going through. He knows it. He's not oblivious to it. The fourth thing is that he's present in the storm. It might have been the fourth watch, but he showed up. And I love that one of the Gospels tells us that he intended to walk by him. You know, it's like, there they are struggling. He's like, walking on the water. It's like, he's going to walk by him. He's like, they're doing all right. They're going to get there. It's going to be rough for them, but they're okay. They'll be better off for it. And he's going to walk by them when they see him, which of course is what he planned all along. But he's you know, walking by like, yeah, I'm just going. And they see him and they think he's a ghost, which I don't know what that meant to a first century Jew a ghost? Was it a, a person who was deceased? Was it a demon? I, I looked up the word and I wasn't able to get a quick answer. I don't know what it meant. Whatever it was, it was terrifying enough that the Bible says they all started screaming. Things have now gone from bad to worse for them. They're in a storm. The wind's contrary. They're believing God's word. And now they see something walking on the water and they all start screaming. Like an airplane going down. Ah, they're just yelling. And Jesus has to cry out to them. Jesus will always meet you in the storm. Jesus said, And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And the most, probably the most loved psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. Even when we face death, even when someone around us is dying, even when we have a brush with death, 
God is with us there as well. That would be considered the worst storm of all for us. Some of you may be in that storm now. Some of you may have heard the word terminal. Some of you may have heard the term, there's no cure, or the prognosis is not good. And you're in that valley of the shadow of death, but Jesus is there with you. He hasn't abandoned you, and he will take you through this storm as well. I've been in the valley of the shadow of death, and I know the presence of God in the midst of it, and it is very real. The fifth thing to make it through a storm is to know that sometimes the very thing you fear is the thing you need. They feared Jesus. They yelled, they hollered, they screamed, but it was Jesus that was there. And sometimes the very, very difficult things in the middle of your storm are the very things that you need in your life because God's doing something specific with you. The sixth thing is that the storm is under the control of Jesus. He didn't think, I need to run out to these guys to help these guys because this storm might get them. He intended to walk by because the storm was under control. The Bible says that God will not give us more than we can handle. And we go, I'm already there. What do you mean he ain't giving me more than I can handle? I'm already there. No, you just don't know how much you can handle. God has his hand on the thermostat the entire time. He is not going to give us more. And if we do go through more, he's going to give us grace that we might be able to handle that. You might say, well, tell that to Job. Yeah, Job went through an awful lot, but he made it through the storm. And he learned his lessons from the storm as well. The seventh is to focus on Jesus and not the storm. That you put your eyes on Christ. And we see that in verse 28. It says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Pretty bold statement. I wish I would have that kind of faith. I might have this kind of faith. Lord, if it's you, then get in the boat with us. What are you doing out there? And he said, come. And Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, this is pretty incredible. Peter walked on the water. We was watching a movie a while ago and they were making the point that there's always an exception and, and the, the main character said, well, Jesus walked on the water. Or no, he said, no, he said one man walked on the water. And I talked to the TV. I said, no, two. Don't forget Peter. He might not have walked for very long, but he walked on the water. Now, I don't know. I'm tempted to ask people to raise hands for this, but I'm, I'm not going to. I don't know if you guys are like me. I've tried to walk on water. And, and not just once. I've tried to go, Lord, I believe you can do anything. I trust you completely. I have faith in you. I have more faith than a mustard seed. And so I'm going to walk on the water. So I just kind of take a run at the old swimming pool. I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to walk on water. And the water has never held me up. Why? Why can't I muster up enough faith to walk on water? Because Jesus never gave me a promise that I could walk on the water. He never gave me a command. Go walk on your swimming pool. But Jesus had given Peter a command come to me. And with that command to come came the power for that water to be able to hold him up. Whatever had to change with the command of God came the power to do that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God gives you a promise and as you step out, God meets you there and you are able to do it. 
pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.